Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Greg Daly, uh, sales director for RPM Technic. Hi, I'm Darren Anderson. I'm Commercial Director for RPM Technic. Uh, I sit in between uh, Greg, who does the car sales, and Ollie, who does all the technical and greasy bits. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello, and welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast. We are back after a little one-week holiday uh, for various reasons including an actual holiday and then some general politeness of uh, not putting out a podcast at a particularly sensitive time of the year. I think everyone listening knows what I'm referring to but we are back this week and we're back again a day earlier than usual. This episode is going out on a Sunday as opposed to a regular Monday again for that same reason but as you've just heard I'm here in conversation with two interesting people. I've got uh, Uh, Greg and Darren from RPM Technic, who are both responsible for, well, I'll let you guys do the kind of proper introduction to your business, but effectively maintain, service, sell, rebuild, and do all sorts of other wonderful things with wonderful Porsche products. Have I got that right? Is that fair? I'd say that's a pretty accurate description, (laughs) John. Yes. And uh, thank you very much for having us. Uh, Before coming on, I had a look through your list of previous uh, interviewees. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I think there's uh, some big names on there. So I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, this is our 21st year in doing what we do. Um, As uh, Darren referred to earlier, our our elusive business partner Ollie uh, actually started the company uh, way back then out of a single car garage but what we are is um, dedicated solely to Porsches so everything from uh, servicing them, selling them, making them ready for track, 
uh, racing in some examples, rebuilding engines and gearboxes, and uh, also projects, which encompasses a wide range of things, but essentially restoring pretty much old Porsches. Uh, I think that's pretty much it, isn't it, Darren? Yeah, I'd say so. We've got, uh, we've got some really strong engine and uh, transmission expertise in the business as well. So, Fantastic. So I, I've been here once before. I came here for a very brief look around with the Supercar Driver Club, um, where you opened the doors and showed everything off. And it was all very exciting because, as we all do, we get very excited about Porsche products. And um, you've even got here your engine room, haven't you, for air-cooled or oil-cooled Porsches. So you mm-hmm. basically cover everything. Is there any... How, how far back do you go with Porsche models, or is there no limit? Well, with the with the business in general, um, yeah, we pride ourselves on working on anything pretty much from 911, 1964, right until um, present day. Um, we generally have a theme of petrol engines, and that's it, <laughs> which we're uh, trying to stick to. But yeah, we we I think we're quite rare in in our industry in that. Sometimes you'll have a, a Porsche sales specialist, or you have a Porsche race specialist, or a Porsche body shop specialist. Um, whereas um, I'm not sure it's sometimes a, a fabulous idea, but we actually do everything all in house, um, and it just does mean that you know if if a client brings a car to us, and then it happens to be in their collection, they've got multiple other Porsches. Everything sort of stays in one place, but it, it certainly makes it easier, doesn't it, when we're doing projects because nothing has to be outsourced uh, well very little items have to be outsourced and we can do it all in-house but um, yeah it's yeah I think I think with the exception of probably the actual applying of paint um, and some of the um, the, the metal work mm-hmm. elements of the build everything is done in-house so if the car comes into us it's stripped down in-house boxed up catalogued and then the bodywork paintwork gets outsourced because as we've ummed and ahed about um, bringing that in-house, but it's such a big, uh, big venture. Yeah. Um, and again, like all of these things, it's we've, we've surrounded ourselves with the very best technical people we can. Um, and I think to do that on the body shop side as well, from the application of paint and um, some of the metalworking skills that are required, that's quite a big challenge to get that done in-house. So, um, but what we do make sure is that everything gets stripped in-house and most importantly gets rebuilt in-house. So the shell comes back in painted, all the panels come back in painted and it's all the nuts, bolts, washers are all done here. So we've got, we've got drawers of everything ready to go, anodized, yellow chromated, whatever it might need, it's done, ready to go. So we know that when that car's built, it will look amazing from the outside, but if you start peeling the layers of the onion, there, you know, there's no at no point there's, there's there's any part of that car that we wouldn't be proud of. Yeah, I think it's always very wise as well. There'll be a lot of people listening that will be nodding their head, going, "Yeah, you don't want to be doing paint." <laughs> it's either something. What I've found in the years I've been in this industry, it's either something you either are very good at and love doing, and that's your speciality: paint shop, body shop, building, that sort of stuff. The minute you try to be the company that builds and paints and then sells, it's like, ah, it, it's a whole new dimension of pain, isn't it? Yeah, sure. one too many things, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to kind of, let's peel back, go right to the very beginning and find out. So the company itself, you say it was founded by Ollie, and we should mention Ollie again. So Ollie is, Ollie, Te- uh, Ollie Preston is the technical director, and you say, just before we hit record, very nicely said he's off doing technical director things. So he's off. So Ollie founded the company. Yes. How did that come how did it all come about? How did it start? And then when did you both find yourselves here? 
Well, yeah, Ollie doesn't like being told what to do, basically. So he worked and had an apprenticeship for another um, Porsche specialist, which is actually an interesting point we'll come back to in a sec. But um, effectively went travelling, came back from travelling and decided that uh, he could do it himself and and did single car lock up. And we've still got some awesome pictures of like a, a one car garage with a, an old 964. Well, at the time, it probably wasn't that old, actually, was it? But 964 that he was working on on his own. Um, and it quickly escalated. He's uh, he's a really cool guy. He's, he's he's one of those people that everyone just wants to hang around with for some reason. Mm. I don't. I, I, I can't <laughs> understand why. But he's just such a lovely guy. Um, and because of that, obviously, people you know word of mouth back then. It wasn't like you know the Instagram and the social medias of yeah. today, which which. I think sometimes people profess one thing, and the reality sometimes can can be different. But back then, it was you know, you know it was grassroots, uh, old school uh, word of mouth. Um, and there's a there's a theme running with a lot of people who get employed through here. So um, I won't speak on behalf of Darren, but I, I was a client of Ollie's, uh, yeah. and we shared a, a love of nine six fours. And when I first met both Darren and Ollie, I was working in the industry, I've been working for BMW, Audi, and and also Porsche. But owning what was at that time a 964, which wasn't particularly cool, you know, like these days, it's you know, it's, mm. it's the thing to have. I bought it because it was the only one I could afford. Um, and the story behind the car I bought, bizarrely, was a car that my dad owned like 10 years before that. Right. Saw it on Auto Trader and thought, it's serendipity, whatever you call it. I've got got to buy the car. And when I was looking for someone to maintain it, there was. There was obviously Porsche specialists out, out there, but working in the main dealers, they just weren't interested in what was a, a slightly rusty old 964. And calling up Ollie, it was just a breath of fresh air. Um, and then I met Darren at the same time. And, uh, well, Darren, you can fill in the gaps in between that. So this is, yeah. just to put a date on this, this must be like early 2000s, I'm guessing. No, no. So for me joining, this was, well, I first met the guys in 2009. Oh, right. Uh, and then they um, locked me in that office since about 2011. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so I can probably infill uh, those years. Uh, I actually joined up with Ollie. Well, I was I was also a client of Ollie's. Um, I had a 944 Turbo. In fact, I had several 944 Turbos. Um, <laughs> there's which, a theme with them as well. <laughs> um, which uh, which were great cars, but uh, I I couldn't help myself but um, tinker with and modify yeah. and uh, and I've kind of I've finally kicked that uh, turbocharged bug and I've now kind of totally flipped into being normally aspirated all the way but uh, <clears throat> I did have a, um, uh, a a number of cars that Ollie looked after <coughs> excuse me and he um, uh, we just got you know again like like Greg said uh, really uh, charismatic and um, uh, an interesting guy but somebody that you could have complete faith in getting a straight answer and getting a really good good job mm. um, uh, and in many ways, it was as being a being a client. I was like, Ollie's wasted here because he's got so much potential. Um, and the it was at that point, it was just Ollie and um, and one other chap who was who dealt with the non Porsche um, models because um, there wasn't enough volume of work there to just keep Ollie uh, and him fully in the in the Porsche mark. So at that point, it was. Um, VW Audi Porsche mm -hmm. primarily 
Um, and uh, yeah, so we, we, we got chatting. Um, I, my background, I had a mechanical engineering degree um, and I went out and did work in environmental consultancy and um, uh, environmental property development, other things, uh, kind of a meandering path through life, but um, always had that kind of grounding with the engineering side of things um, in all the, the work that I did. And um, yeah, we just we were talking about what his aspiration was and where he wanted to go with the business. And uh, I was at a kind of crossroads in my life where I was like, I, I, I feel like I sh should have done more with cars because that's always been my passion and I haven't. Um, and it's something that I think other people sometimes associate with. It's probably a little bit early for a midlife crisis for me, but it was, <laughs> it, it was you know, we've all probably had those thoughts and gone, you know, we're only here for a short period of time. We don't know how long that is. What you know, what's, you know, what do I want to do with myself? And yeah. um, so the combination of all those things, um, we decided that um, there was some real opportunity for RPM to uh, to grow, become solely Porsche, um, bring in some more technical expertise and, and, and work towards, you know, being a, you know, a really big player in in the um, in in the marketplace. So um, that's what we did. We, uh, we, we joined forces. I, I, helped him on the operational side of things which gave him more time to do the technical bits um, a good friend of my brother's um, was a Porsche technician by chance um, and um, we got him on board and then we pulled a couple of other people in we built the business built the business crammed it into what was a very small space mm -hmm. um, we were busting at the seams with cars and technicians we had three ramps in a building that could probably fit one and a half. I should say um, that we they moved from the single lock up to a farm in that, yeah, that period. It just, yeah. yeah, it would just move further up the farm into the cow shed. So <laughs> um, and it you know it was a great it was a great operation and I think it's testament to what we were doing that we were having some, you know, pretty good cars and some really good clients coming in and acknowledging that to get to us, they had to come through the builders merchant slash farmyard with the rabid Alsatian dog and then <laughs> kind of get step out of their their turbo into a an inch of mud in places and it, you know it was we we knew it wasn't where we wanted to be but yeah. it, for us it was getting the team together was much much more important than getting the premises together mm. um, and to be fair we thought it we probably had to find a premises quite quickly as it happens it took us probably a good two two and a half years um, in fact, probably around about the time we were talking to Greg or met Greg uh, initially was kind of around about the time we were looking to move. Mm. Um, and so it was um, 2011, end of 2011, when we finally moved into this premises here. Um, and that was a big jump for us. That was like a threefold increase in um, floor space. Mm. And we had proper parking and lots of it. So. And no mud on the floor. Not a single bit of mud. Rabbit dog? No rabbit. No, we had... <laughs> Uh, we greatest dog, dog that ever lived. We had the greatest <laughs> dog that ever lived, but um, he was he was as soft as anything. <laughs> Three-legged cat that wasn't. Yes, <laughs> yeah, to be fair, that's probably the most savage animal I've ever come across. Yeah. But it, on, a, on a good day, it was lovely. We respected him rather than liked him. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like the that little pre-midlife crisis kind of statement because I think it's one as you say it's one that's shared by so many people especially in the automotive space because it's it's something we've said time and time again on our podcast we've sat on our radio show as well when we talk about the automotive industry I always say that we're very lucky to work in the automotive industry because it's passion-led you know mm -hmm. we're all here because we love cars or mm -hmm. we love motorbikes or we love things with 
an engine or a big dramatically unnecessarily powerful electric motor that's that's why we're here there's very few other industries where it's as passion-led you know people get excited about working in construction or engineering but you know do they go home and then construct something in their garden at home or engineer something new the chance are they don't whereas with cars we just love it so much um, I'd like to without kind of getting too um, inspirational or, or <laughs> <laughs> too preachy can you remember the, the, the emotions I guess for both of you at the time that you thought right I'm potentially onto something good here there's a company that's growing that's clearly evolving into something that I could envisage is going to be good can you remember what the emotions were at the time that you jumped into it and was it scary was it exciting did you feel like you were potentially taking a risk um when well when i when i first got uh someone asked me a similar question recently and i've pondered it for quite a long time but when i first met darren and ollie um they were just so different it, for me don't get me wrong the, the cars i've i've loved like forever but two wheels is my first passion but um Porsches are too expensive when you're 17. Um, but for me, it was all—it's—it's it's about the people. From working in sales, you know, you, you meet such a wide diversity of people in you know dealing with the general public. Uh, and meeting Darren and Ollie was just like a breath of fresh air for the car industry. They're just totally different to other other guys that I'd sort of interacted with. Which you know, you learn something from everybody, don't you? Um, but you know, we always sort of chuckle every time we have a director meeting it's 50% laughing 50% yeah. doing what we're supposed to be doing but you know and, and we're here we see each other more than we see our families um, so you know that it's just it, it kind of is overlooked and people say it all the time but I personally for me it's hand in hand with the cars themselves and I mean I, I remember when I weirdly decided wanted to work with Porsche specifically it was I was in the car industry and my now wife and I were on holiday in the, the Thailand or somewhere like that and it, Evo magazine had um, bought out I think they used to call them bookazines I think they might still yeah, do yeah. them and it was on all the different Porsche models up until that point that they'd done stories on I remember sat there and read it cover to cover and I can even remember right now I sat on the uh, sunbed thinking when I get home I'm going to get involved with Porsche this is what I want to do uh, and I and I did. I worked for Porsche, and I thought this is my dream job. And you know what it's like when you've been looking forward to something, you know, so much. And then I when I started working for them, the the, the machine absolutely loved. You know, they're just unbelievable. But the the sales side of things wasn't as autonomous as I was kind of used to. So I could quickly see that I wanted to do Porsche, but on my own or, or yeah. with, with someone else. And it is you know, it's those cheesy things but it is a perfect storm of everything coming together but you know sometimes we get bogged down in the the day-to-day -day of running what is a relatively you know big operation now um but it's stuff like what we've got coming up next week where we've got three days at the ring you know and we always we always do it we get out of the car and go this is why we do the 10 hours a day um and unfortunately the the balance sometimes isn't always there but we try and we try and balance out, don't we? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It's important. Very important. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I, I guess the emotion, uh, there's always an element of trepidation when you, you know, you kick on into something that's, that's new to you. Um, um, and I think, you know, one of the things that's probably common between the three of us is we're all, we all embrace the, the kind of the mantra to sort of step out of the comfort zone as regularly as possible. 
um, in my case, maybe too, too regularly, but we we will, you know, I think it's it, it, it's healthy to, to do that, and um, and I don't I don't think there was a kind of a fear of stepping out and, and making those commitments, um, but I do I do remember a point, and we still have these these moments where we will look back, and we, every year we'll have a um, a director meeting where we just go off site and we. We look at where we're going going forwards, but we also make a point before we do that of, you know, what, how have we moved over, what's happened in the previous year, where have we got to? Because it's quite easy just to sort to keep your head down and you're pushing the grind through, but you don't really appreciate you've actually moved. It feels like you haven't moved anywhere, but then when mm. you look back, you go, actually, to be fair, this year we've done we've done a lot. Mm. Um, and I think um, one of the first points in time where. I thought, do you know what? This is this is really good. I'm really kind of chuffed that we've kind of got to the point we've got to. Was round about the time we moved into here. Um, uh, I was invited out with one of the uh, other guys who was working with us at the time uh, to do an Evo feature. Um, love Evo. Love the the you know the the, the editorial stuff they do is just amazing. Mm. Um, and the guys are really proper drivers, and you know if they do a review, it's going to be straight. It's going to be really kind of insightful. Um, and you also go off, oh, I'd love to go, I'd love to be on that review. And so to be given the opportunity to go out, and it was actually a really cool one because it was when the um, 997 Gen 2 GT3 was released. So they had the press, they, they got hold of the press car um, and we were um, supplied through our client base the 997.1 GT3, 996.2 GT3, 996.1 GT3, mm-hmm. um, all in press colours um, by um, slight engineering, but it was um, it was a, an awesome feature and people still talk about it now, mm-hmm. but it meant going out into Wales in pretty much freezing wet conditions <laughs> um, and uh, and we went and drove, they drove all the different cars and featured them. But as a result of them jumping between all the different cars, myself and Mark was with us, um, we ended up jumping in between all the different cars as I well. I didn't realise Smitty went on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was Mark. Mark was, uh, he, he um, drew the long straw on that one. Yeah, didn't he just? Um, and yeah, it was, I mean, it was a fantastic um, thing to be involved with. And, and for me, it, I found it really useful just to, be able to get that opportunity to drive all the different cars in the same environment mm. at the same time. And I went there and I was like, I don't care how good the rest of these 997s are going to drive. For me, the 996.2 GT3 is going to be the king. It's just yeah. the best. Um, and I was possibly a little bit blinkered, but it kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the qualities of the 996.2 GT3 for me were just so strong that I, mm. I thought, I don't, I can't see into the other models like turning my head um, and interestingly after driving them maybe it was because it, the traction was so sketchy mm. and um, it was quite a long drive there long drive back but of all the cars actually on the day I thought the 997.1 GT3 um, interesting yeah was a car that if I could have chosen which car to drive home that day I would have driven the 997.1 um, right. because it was just a little bit more um Kind of easy to live with, not the the, the right expression, but it, it was the compliance. Subtle, yeah, the, you know, it gave you all of the the thrills. Yeah, but you just didn't need to kind of like have so much. You know, you, you didn't need to give it one hundred and ten percent concentration at all times to yeah. you know to to, to, to and, 
and it was more accessible probably to get the speed out of those uh, 997s versus the 996s mm. but I still flip and flop between the two because the, the 996.2 just has such a amazing kind of quality it was a it. significant jump wasn't it between a car that seemed to be engineered by the pr team and the marketing team and then there was a big takeover from the engineering team that went yeah we're going to yeah. start again yeah. <laughs> the same car yeah. but we're just going to make it better yeah. It, yeah i mean it's probably the biggest jump of all of them was going from the 6.1 to the 6.2 mm. um but you know the 997.1 and uh, 7.2 were pretty yeah. similar-ish you know that, that was probably the smallest jump um, of all of the of all the iterations but it was an amazing trip um, really good to do with the, the Evo guys but also it was one of those where you went okay the fact that we're even been invited to be here is testament to the sort of hard work that we've done to get Definitely. our business um, up to, to where it is and how did that come about was it just a, a phone call that somebody used your services yeah no they um uh yeah i can't actually remember how it came about but it was um yeah I think, they, we, I think we had the two of them for sale and they just sold or something and you know what it's like when they have a press launch then they need some of the old you know back catalog yeah, yeah, i yeah. think there was a perfect yeah. sort of scenario of a couple were around i think yeah someone knew us or something yeah, yeah. We, we'd, we'd had we, we knew Stu gallagher through his gt porsche days oh, um and goodness. um and we'd obviously sort of met the, the other journalists like Jethro and Henry mm. um, on um, on occasions, but that was our first kind of big um, collaboration with them. Um, and it was a great, it was a great, it was not, it's, that's, it's days like that, that, you know, really make you want to get out of bed. Yeah, <laughs> and over the years, those sort of events are obviously always going to be great, but are there any other memories you can think of with the business, like growing to a point where you suddenly have another one of those moments of realisation where you're like, oh, wow. I mean, obviously moving into a big premises, that's obviously going to be a huge step. But were there ever any other... I often like talking to um, people that sell cars, for example, is a great one, is saying, you know, was there ever that car that you were hoping the phone would ring, it would be somebody with a sale or return offer or I'm looking to upgrade and here you can have this. Have there ever been any moments like that where suddenly something's arrived and you're like, okay, we're do we've clearly we're done something very now. well here? Yeah, there, there probably three things actually. Um, when we when we all joined up, we were like, right, we want to sell GT3s, mm. and uh, at the time, you know, we had lovely Porsches in, but they weren't GT models. And I remember the first, funny enough, the first ever GT3 I think I ever sold was a white uh, 997.1 actually, mm -hmm. uh, and. I'd, I'd, even though I'd worked for Porsche, I'd, I recall, I think I'd driven one like to the roundabout and back, but I'd never actually driven one. And it was that sort of, you know, oh my God sort of moment. And often when you, you, know, you drive a, a car or you meet heroes, that's the old cliche, it's, it's not quite what you think, but it was, it, it was, it was more than I had the talent for at the time and probably still now. But um, yeah, that, that was, that was pretty cool. But in terms of sales, you know, we always kind of laughed and talked about things like uh, like Carrera GTs, mm. and uh, a client of mine who um, had a few nine six fours, few GT threes, um, talked like picked up the phone one day and said, oh, I'm, "I'm thinking about getting a Carrera GT." So 
I was obviously very, very uh, pro getting the GT, uh, Grow <laughs> GT, and whilst I, at that point we we didn't um, we didn't have the specialism that we do right now, we we helped him with a few bits and pieces, and and I thought that was that, and then a couple of years later um, he had had his time with the car and fancied moving it on, and. Uh, he took a chance with us and we I remember the day he, he rocked up outside and he said well you're going to have to go and drive it and, you, know, you kind of think this guy's going to say keep it in the showroom yeah, don't yeah, touch yeah. it um, and he was really encouraging so obviously didn't need to be asked twice um, and yeah driving that one of those for the first time was just like spellbinding but I remember the day we actually sold it I sold it to uh, a, a collector like most of these cars are Um and you know, really nice guy. Very, very hard to um, to get a you know a, a sort of a feeling from whether he was interested. But the car was a UK car with the, the, like the best service history of ever car I think I've ever seen. And uh, all the way up until the point of you know we're about to talk Turkey, nothing, nothing coming back whatsoever. Closed the service history book and said, hmm, could be better and we both laughed and, it, <laughs> and I remember when we when we did the deal we went off to Cadwell Park afterwards to go and watch oh, I think some kind of rally cross or something mm, together yeah. and so everyone was waiting outside for me to finish get this deal done which is like the biggest deal of my life and and yeah he, the, obviously the guy you know shook hands and he paid his deposit and that feeling of yeah. getting that over the line was just Oh, it's just the best thing ever and you know there's there's dealers out there that will you know probably sold 20 30 of these things but yeah. you know the first is always the, yeah. the most special um and I, I don't think i'll ever forget that and now we work on them you know ollie our, our partner as we said he he's obviously been a massive fan of of how those cars are put together if you've ever anyone gets the opportunity to look at one on a ramp you know that is a car for an engineer it's just beautifully screwed together and we started from doing you know we did an inspection we, we got one through an MOT that had been imported from America one of our, our contacts in Milton Keynes who brings them in for guys in the city and you know we you know that real like uh, phrase but organically we grew getting into Crow GTs we never went yeah we're the world's best in these yeah we, we got one two three four you know got to a critical mass of, of inspecting them and knowing the difference between what a good and a bad one is and you know, at the moment, I think there's three sat in the workshop at the moment, having um, KW lift kits put in them. Um, and you, you do, you know, sometimes I'll make a coffee in the morning and I like getting to work early and just sometimes stand there and look at it for a few yeah. minutes. And you're like, you know, people lose their minds when they see these on, on the road. Um, but just quickly, the third one was when we... Um, we were lucky enough to get an order slot back in 2016 for a GT4. Great. Um, up until that point, I think cumulatively between us, probably the most expensive car we ever bought was about fifteen grand. <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of, uh, I think we financed ninety eight percent of the car. Yeah. Um, but my God, we used it. Um, I remember Darren and I went to go and collect it, didn't we? <clears throat> yeah. uh, and it, it, that for me was another like Jesus. Yeah. We're, this is a big boy's toy um, and we, we did so many cool things with that didn't we we were not precious about mileage precious about use we we tracked it uh, flew over curbs in it Greg Greg flew no over I did not <laughs> this is lies um, but that car it, it just it, it, you know it opened so many more conversations and yeah, you know, met some interesting people and 
you know, my kids were really sad when we sold it, but you know, you can't keep all the cars forever. But yeah, those three probably for me. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Yeah, no, that's, and it was um, paint sample as well. It was, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was that personal exactly. experience that yeah, you, you couldn't get if you if you went through the the, the used market. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now I guess probably for me, um, uh, one of the big moments was um, again bizarrely an Evo related moment, but uh, we'd um, been working on. Um, uh, a CSR program which was taking uh, at the time there wasn't an offering that sat between a Carrera S and a, a GT3 mm-hmm. because um, the GTS wasn't a, even a thing when we first started to look at um, the CSR program uh, but it, in essence it was taking those models and creating a GT3-esque experience um, through um, rebuilding them with more up-to-date and more fast road track focus suspension, mm. doing stuff to the drivetrain, crown wheels and pinions, diffs, um, you know, just just stuff that gave you extra performance, but without um, uh, necessarily just bolting a turbo on and getting a load more power. So yeah. those, those, those CSR models, they had a quite distinct look. So they all ran ducktails and, um, you know, more um, aggressive... Um, GT3-esque or turbo-esque bodywork. So um, they're really well received and there's still a good number of our clients out there running them and enjoying them and, you know, saying they're the best thing that they've ever driven and, you know, and that's and that's great to see and really, really good for us. But um, so we've had a lot of love, I guess, from the CSR programme and from the owners and from, you know, the, the, the I guess the um, position because that, that that went globally. I was out in um, in America um, doing a feature and um, nothing to do with the CSR program, but we we're just talking to people and um, and they were like, "Wow, you you, you do those CSRs?" And they, yeah. you know, it's like, "By me, it's it's really kind of it's gone across the pond." Um, yeah. So, uh, but I guess the moment that um, that you know I think I was really proud of as a as, as an achievement was when. Um, we just got our CSR retro, got five stars in Evo magazine. Right. And it was like, do you know what? That's that's really cool. Mm, that's, yeah. a, that's, yeah. a, that's a great thing. So um, yeah, uh, that that was a that was a biggie. Um, and I guess more recently, and I guess it's more than likely as a result of all the bits we've been doing in in the in the GT world, because if we specialise in anything now, it's the GT models. But technically, upgrades. Tracking track upgrades, um, we'll probably be restoring them before long. You know, it's you know that's that, that's where we are. But that and our CSR um, program and all the the knowledge that we gained from doing the the research and development for that found, um, I think, a, a natural bedfellow with the Mantai um, program. Yeah. So, I think one of the really special moments for me was when we went up to Bedford Autodrome. We just had Mantai over. And we'd built the first gen, um, sorry, GT3 RS and uh, GT2 RS MRs um, outside of Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one might have been built in Australia, Melbourne, possibly. Yeah, 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 but you know, in certainly Northern Hemisphere, they were the mm-hmm. first two cars built outside of Manti. Wow. Um, they were done here. They were really striking, bold green and yellow, you know, Manti liveries. They looked amazing, mm-hmm. um, and we. Uh, 
at great expense, I should add, <laughs> hired a, uh, a video um, uh, company, production company, um, and they did an amazing job. Uh, and they put um, uh, a video together, and it ended up being really short um, for the amount of money <laughs> it cost. But it was, it, we went up to Bedford and we had this great big boom and rig, and yeah. it took you know a truck and about 10 people to operate. Um, but it produced a, a, a wonderful um, um, video that really captured the kind of the emotion of those two cars. Mm -hmm. um, and they, we didn't go above about 10 miles an hour, did we? <laughs> yeah. there, was no, there was no speed and kind of opposite lock and smoking. No Top Gear moments. No, yeah. none, none of that. Um, but it was really classy. Um, nice. But I think it was more... Again, the three of us were all up there together mm. um, and the light was fading and um, I think we just kind of went, yeah, do you know what, this, this is, is all right. This is, a, yeah. this is a moment, this is one that, you know, is a moment in time that um, will savour and um, yeah. the Manti program has been great for us, it's been, you know, the technical guys here loved it, building them, mm. we love building them, the our clients love driving them um, and yeah, we've done a lot of them now, so... Yeah. Yeah, really, really. I think exciting. one of the sort because of, these ones are more um, sort of his, some of these are more historic moments, even like the Manti when we first started doing them. But like when you were I, Darren and I went to the ring back in May. I think. Yeah. Uh, and we're, as I say, about to go next week. But we took the GT4 MR, our seven eighteen. Um, we like mid-engined ones, <laughs> and. Um, we spent the day there and I don't know how many, was it five tanks of fuel or something? It's um, yeah. And we both just got out at the end of the day and we were like, this is why these cars mm. are designed and set up how they are. I, they, I can't think there's many cars that, you know, and that we we could have driven that car back. Mm. I think we, did we trailer it? Yeah, we trailered it. The yeah. one. But, you know, we both got out and sort of scratched our heads and thought, the, these things are different gravy. Um, it's not just... It's not just the, I suppose, you know, a lot of people look at them and go, wow, they're cool things. But when you actually get people inside them and they experience them, they get it. Yeah. Whereas if you just talk about, crudely, talk about numbers and money and things like that and lap times, it never gives the the reality of what these things are doing at the 99th, not saying we quite get it to the 99th percentile, but, you know, what they can do right at the ragged edge, it, it, you know. And that one in May, that's mm. one of those track days where we were both like I'm not sure that could have been improved <laughs> yeah. no it was perfect wasn't it we Kevin clear, Estra clear track amazing cars good weather yeah good food yeah a couple of beers Le Mans winning drivers yeah it was yeah. it was pretty special yeah amazing. I've definitely got a bit of a soft spot for the GT4 as well it's on my list of if I ever actually make some money from doing this sort of thing, that's exactly the kind of thing. We've got a great finance company. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've heard of yeah, yeah, big shout out to JBL Capital. <laughs> but he might happen to be an ambassador for, but that's another episode. Just I mean, we've done that episode already, actually. That's already done. Um, I want to just quickly go back to the Manti stuff, if we can, because there'll be, there might be a few people listening going, oh my God, Manti, that's amazing. No, exactly who they are. There might also be a few people going, oh, I think I've heard of the brand, but not really sure. So let's try and give a bit of an explanation to that. And I'd love to find out how you got the honour of being an approved Manti builder. So Manti, when I think of Manti, I think of the Nürburgring. They build ultimately the, the, the 911s and the GT3s that win at the Nürburgring tend to be built by mm. Manti. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then, but over the years, so they've been seen as a, a racing company, motorsport company, predominantly, mm -hmm. but they've now started to see Manti developed cars making their way onto the roads and 
you guys are one of those builders. So how, how did that come about? Well, yeah, I mean, to if I'll give a bit of context to who they are and what they do, as you say. So they are responsible for running Porsche's uh, effectively motorsport program. Um, so they're based at the ring, mm-hmm. um, at a place called Motorpath, um, which is literally five minutes away. And their facility is insane. Yeah. It's, it, it starts off with a, with a uh, Porsche service centre, um, looking like most Porsche service centres. But the rest of their operation is huge um so they prep all the 992 cup cars before they go out to clients and all that sort of stuff but they've been around for 30 something years now started by a guy called olaf mantai and they throughout the years have um predominantly done endurance racing uh, and generally um centered around porsche um and then about eight years nine years ago i think now um porsche bought 51 percent of uh, mantai so the products that are put out there now are Manufacturer approved, you know, built to TV standards, wind tunnel tested by Porsche. You know, we fit a wide variety of parts, and sometimes, you know, the parts aren't, you know, don't fit like a manufacturer part would, whereas the Manti stuff, it is mm. just fits straight on. No messing, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's their background. And over the last, well, since 996 era of Porsches, they have offered road um, programs where you know, German clients have said, I race with you, I'd like that on my road car, is there something we can do? So they did the 996 MRs, 997s, they're not quite as well known, but mm. you know, if you Google it, there's plenty of them out there. And then for the 901 program, um, they put together a, a you know, cohesive package um, so that you could buy it as a kit form and it's recognised by Porsche, so it doesn't invalidate your warranty and things like that. Um, and as you say, they hold black records across various different circuits across the, uh, Europe. Um, but predominantly the ring, that's obviously their, their hometown. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's who they are. And I'll let Darren explain how we got in, involved with them. Yeah. So, uh, there's, there's been a, um, quite a longstanding relationship between, um, ourselves and KW. Um, yeah. we were, I think probably one of the very first people in the UK to, really embraced the KW um, suspension kits um, when they were released for the Porsche models. Uh, and uh, Ollie and our techs have spent time out in Germany training courses and uh, and the like. And um, uh, Michael Grassel, who was um, at, back in the day, was at KW's um, technical man, um, moved across to, uh, to Mantai um, in a similar role. So, uh, and he actually came out uh, with a couple of techs to do the training um, back in that summer of 2020 when we did the um, we did the, the two um, big builds. So um, we usually you'd go to Germany to be trained, but um, it happened that um, with uh, COVID and other considerations, um, Mantai came to us. So um, yeah, uh, but that that they, that's I think that strong relationship between Michael and uh, and Ollie from the uh, from, from back in in those days uh, was was very influential and, and I'm sure probably are sort of standing in um, the the Porsche um, independent marketplace uh, put us as a, a logical bedfellow mm-hmm. and we're part of the Porsche partner network so yeah that's um, huge isn't it you know and that's that's uh, you know that for uh, it's obviously a quite a strange um, dynamic because we're we're part of the network, but we're not a dealer. Um, 
they're 51% owned by Porsche um, and the equipment's now available through um, the UK, through uh, through the, the Reading, through where we get all of our uh, Porsche parts. So it, it's constantly evolving, um, but um, yeah, we, we're really enjoying the fact that we're part of that evolution and we're in the, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're selling these cars up and getting people out on track and, um, you only have to go out to any, you know, any of the circuits nowadays. There's there's been a really good renaissance, I think, in um, in the track day scene um, over the last couple of years, particularly. But the number of Porsches that are out there is staggering. I mean, I'd say probably forty or fifty percent of the cars on a lot of these days are Porsche. So yeah, um, it's yeah. quite nice to see, isn't it? I think uh, as somebody, you know, track days is a hobby of mine and has been for the best part of the past 15 years or so. And it's always been the case, or certainly when I started driving on track, it was still seen as this kind of slightly unusual thing to do, even if you had quite a capable car. There'd be a lot of people, you'd see people with nice cars at various events. They'd say, oh, I'd love to do a track day, but I'd never take my own car. And nowadays that has, as you say, it's kind of transformed. It's quite refreshing to see a lot of people turning up with there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Six months to a year old... Porsche products, mm. 911s or Caymans, mm. GT4s, GT3s obviously are, are a great thing to see. And it's brilliant to see that they're actually being used. And I think Porsche and the Porsche buyers are kind of ahead of the curve slightly. I've been to many, many private track days that have been hired for other, let's say, car clubs like Ferrari Owners Club or the Bentley Drivers Club. And there'll be maybe out of 50 cars, one or two pressing on, but the rest are really gently driving. Mm. You go to a Porsche arranged day or a day that happens to have a lot of 911s or Porsche products on, and my God, these guys and girls are pressing mm. on with their cars. Mm. And mm. it is, as you say, it's really exciting to see. It's encouraging to see because for the first time, we're seeing cars that are being engineered and developed to be driven fast and driven well on track. And they are. They are being driven well on track. And it's, mm. yeah, it's great. For you guys, it must be just... Joyous to see because it means that there's another flurry of customers coming in wanting their cars yeah, to be slightly better. No, absolutely, and also, um, you know that that you're right. They do the, the the cars are driven properly and hard and very hard in some cases. Um, and we've got um, technical partnerships with Michelin and Surface Transforms. And what do you use a lot? And you know what do you need to really work for you on a track day? You need good tires. Mm. You need good brakes. <laughs> Um, so it's you know we found that that's 
really kind of helped um, the knowledge that we have of the of the products. Um, you know, we use our GT4 MR and Tim Harvey's GT3 MR, our SMR, sorry, um, as demonstrators. And as far as I know, we're the only people that are out there going, you know, you're, you're having a great day with your, your 911 RS, but um, have you considered um, the, what the Cup 2R tyre might do for you? Pressing on really well, you'll probably get the benefit out of that tyre. Um, uh, and, you know, again, with the braking products, jump in, we'll show you what the um, STs are like. Uh, yeah. We'll show you what a Cup 2R is like. And you, there is a, there's enough of a difference between a 2 and a 2R that from the passenger seat, you can feel that. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, but then it's not quite as simple as that with most of these things you've got to understand that okay so if you've got more grip it's going to put more you know load on the suspension there's more weight transfer you need more control arguably the factory setup isn't going to be adequate if you really press on because you're going to overload it wasn't designed with cup 2r tires in mind so mm. you start to kind of you know have to you have to understand all the different parts um and then to give people the best option and uh, and set up geometry setups really key um, and it's quite personal it's not just one one setup for anybody so you have to understand how that client drives you know how they want the car to behave do they want it to kind of push into understeer because they want that kind of warning before it's going to you know step out or are they happy with something that's you know that's quite pointy but also quite loose on the rear um, mm. I'll sit my hand up for that one. Yeah. But, you know, it's, uh, but you know, everyone's everyone's different, and if you just kind of try and if you don't ask the right question at the start of the process, mm. you're going to give somebody something that, that might be perfect for somebody else, but isn't what they really want or sure. need. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's quite an interesting place to be. Yeah, because you 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 with Porsche, you have two ends of the spectrum. You know, like guys like Tim Harvey, multiple championship winner driven every you know gt3 cup car pretty much i think they've ever built mm. um you know guys like that who who truly can take the last percent out of the car but you sit next to these sorts of people and i'm sure you've done it the same and they're not driving the car hard no. or you know being rough with it it's just super smooth and, mm. and so you've got one end of it where you've got these guys that are literally doing what the porsche engineers designed them to do but then i equally find it quite um fun to be with the the new um buyer or the new owner of the car and you know there's that trepidation of going on circuit for the first time ever and you can see it in their eyes because we've we've all mm. been that guy yeah. you've got to do it at some point but you don't have to but you want to do it at some point um and it's that sort of release of stress of the first time they get out in their car and they they, they realize oh my lord it's not made of glass you know mm. it will mm. it will take what I, what I can dish out on it and and we've had loads of clients where they've kind of come from that step one to to racing and you mm. like that's really cool you know yeah. we had a little small little part in that um but that sort of that that feeling they get when they first get out of the car and are like oh my lord the you know i can't believe how good these cars are that i think is just as cool yeah. as the race driver getting out and going that thing's set up exactly how i want it i couldn't yeah. be you know couldn't, yeah. mm. couldn't change it um and that's i think that's quite rare because with some other sort of you know, sports or supercar brands, the entry level point into ownership can be freaking high. Mm. You know, it's like 200 grand or something for some manufacturers. Whereas, you know, we can look after guys with, and girls with cars from, you know, 10, 15K upwards. Um, and, and that's nice. I, I, I kind of like that diversity as well. It's a bit of everything. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. The uh, one of the things which, despite my um, my thoughts when Greg was talking, is the um, the, the Manti suspensions for the for mm. RS models, for example. Uh, it's something that people assume. Oh, you need to be a Tim Harvey to yeah, yeah. To, to to even need a Manti suspension. Whereas what we've actually found is um, having a Manti suspension kit on your RS because it it's that much more compliant. It actually makes the car easier to handle on the extremities of its grip, mm. which. From a from a track driver's point of view, they're living there all the time anyway. But from a regular um, and novice track driving point of view, they want to stay well away from that, and so it just gives them that envelope before the car becomes anywhere near spiky on its edge. Is that envelope just becomes wider? Yeah. So we found that where we put it onto um, more novice driver um, uh, run cars, they're actually getting loads of benefit from that upgrade as well um course, so it's yeah. you know and that's kind of was quite an interesting side story to the manti because that whether that was part of their plan or not it's a, it's an interesting kind of reality of, of running the the manti um upgrades mm. yeah and it's always fascinating isn't it seeing doors that potential customers or existing customers never thought they'd even have the opportunity to open they suddenly realize oh hang on a minute this is as you say this isn't scary this isn't the car isn't made of glass and i can push on and maybe i do want to go a bit faster and yeah it must be fascinating to see how perhaps one customer comes in with aspirations to just you know buy and drive a boxster because that's they've always wanted the porsche products and then suddenly they've got aspirations to have a GT3 and set a lap time around Norschleife. Never know. <laughs> Come on down. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to also talk about the other big part of, big side of your business, which is the restoration side. And people that either you know, come to you with the uh, aspiration to have a classic 911 and have it restored, or perhaps I imagine bring a lot of their own cars and say, right, here's a big pile of orange that's been sat in my garage for many years. Can you please make it pretty? How did that all start and what tends to be the typical cars that you tend to restore well um, again you know we didn't just jump in straight at doing these you know um, top you know super high level uh, restorations they they grew from you know old cars needing work and mm. they get to that certain like you know part of their life cycle that you know the guy or girl that owns the car they kind of they know they know <laughs> the cars at that point is can't limp on for another MOT but I think for us one of the catalysts and many others in our industry was as, as the air-cooled you know euphoria bug whatever hit and the cars then became more economical to do a proper restoration yeah. so back when we were selling you know 964s for 10 to 12 grand you know, fair play to the, the the clients back then that were doing an eight to nine grand engine rebuild because mm. they weren't doing that for any financial gain. No. It was love for the vehicle. Um, but now, obviously, those types of vehicles are you know, 70 to 100,000 pounds and, and way more depending on, on which one they are. The economics of doing it, first and foremost, is more palatable. Mm. Um, but also, you know, people's desire to keep that car on the road as part of like the Porsche back catalogue of Porsche's history is is also something that you know they decide to do but in terms of the 
the, the, the stereotypical sort of car that comes into us. We've we seem to have carved a niche, I think, in 964s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done quite yeah. a lot of 964 rebuilds, um, probably because you know Darren, myself, and Ollie all owned and loved them, and they they are one of the one of the greats in our opinion. Um, and obviously, with you know Singer choosing that that yeah. base model for their all of their products, kind of I'd say underlines what. We already know. Um, and with the nine six fours, are you restoring them as nine six fours, or are they getting backdated too? It's, it's such a variance, yeah, isn't it? We've done everything. You know, we've done NGT cars. We've done um, backdates to long bonnet. Um, oh wow! You know, for something that you would look at and probably oh, that's a singer. Um, mm-hmm. But it's you know again, the difference is I think they're what we've. There's no recipe to it. Yeah. We again will sit down. And if somebody wants something and they've got an idea of exactly what they want, we'll make it for them, we'll build it for them. Um, or if they, and this was the case in one of the sort of backdates we did, the guy had a pretty sensible budget to build something really quite nice. Um, but he was like, I'm not going to pretend to know what's the best engine um, to put in this. And um, he was very particular about the interior. Um, he had his, but that was his world. Um, he was in that in that game. Um, but everything else was um, he would just go and it's a, a perfect client, wasn't he? Really, because he just went there. You go. Tell me what you think I should do, and tell me how much it will cost, and then now uh, we'll crack on. Um, mm. And that's kind of how it evolved. And the end product was amazing, um, and still is. But there, there, it is very bespoke, and I think that's that's the way the industry's going in many ways, uh, the way the world's going probably, that people want to have something that is personal to them um, yeah. and that they can turn up to a car show and be pretty sure that there's not going to be 10 of them in a line next to their car. Yeah, definitely not. So, but we, we get, we've had some in the last two or three years, again, you know how these things spiral. We had um, a gentleman who owned a, a 959 and um, we'd done some bits and pieces on it over the years to you know, go through some OTs and stuff. And uh, it, case in point with that car, okay, it's a 959 worth what 959s are worth, but uh, I think it, it came in for a light bulb, I don't know what it was. <laughs> and, and the thing was smoking so heavily, it was wow. kind of like hot oil, turbos yeah. let's not turn that on again and fast forward the car had to have a full engine rebuild and we've never been the the best at our social media and telling everybody what what we're up to but we thought probably people might be interested in, <laughs> in this one and yeah. we did a few bits and pieces and uh, another client contacted with us with a with another 959 and we've had Nine, uh, multiples since then as well but um that particular one was quite interesting the white one mm. um which uh had a really interesting history that it started off in Europe, went uh, went to Mexico for a few years in the <laughs> early 90s. So I imagine the interior of that car's got a few stories potentially to, <laughs> to tell and then uh, made its way back to the, to the UK. But uh, the client who owned it um, uh, didn't want to pay the uh, duties to take it out. So the car sat in a bonded warehouse uh, for 25 years. Oh, so, wow. So he could avoid paying the duties. And fair play to him. I think someone at the government thought he's never going to do this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when the 25th year rolled by, um, out it came. And uh, it's having a, a sort of a sympathetic restoration here. Um, wow. So 
it's funny how you know one conversation goes to another and all of a sudden it spirals but um yeah the projects department whenever you go in there there's there's always something i i'm no engineer but you know you you build up a knowledge but every time you go in there you're like what's that yeah yeah (laughs) how does that work yeah and the guys in there you know chris he's trained most of the Porsche engineers on in the UK yeah, between the ages of yeah, <laughs> 25 and 50. He's like the grandfather. And uh, is, 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 these, these guys I find fascinating because I say to them, you know, you could write a book. And they're like, who wants to know? I'm like, probably quite Loads a lot of people. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Must be listening it, to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. He could probably uh, quote part numbers and yeah. you know facts and figures off the top of his head mm. for most of the cars yeah. that go through there. And it is it's staggering. Yeah. Incredible. And are there any like, highlight cars? Other, I mean, that 959 story is fantastic. But any other cars that you're particularly proud of that have gone off to live a good life or get... Well, you've mentioned your, your feature in Evo as well. That's obviously quite a nice... Um, was that, one, that was one of your builds, wasn't it? Yeah, yes, the yeah. CSR uh, retro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, no, um, well, for, uh, for, for me, um, yeah. Japin, is the... Um, we had a, a gentleman who's always sniffs out a great deal on a car. Or, you know, he's always got something interesting going on and we've you know, done a bit of business together over the years and uh, he came by a, a 964, um, which was bought as a 964 RS. Mm. And uh, there was some confusion with the car because when you look up the chassis number, the car didn't roll into the RS production uh-huh. line. and But you could see that a car had some real trick bits on it. And it was... I think back in the sort of early 2000s when these cars were, you know, 20, 40 grand, people kind of like, no, nah, I think someone's just mocked up a C2. Yeah, and yeah. Anyway, he's a canny guy and he, you know, he's owned a few of the cars anyway. And uh, he rolled the dice guessing that the car must have been a pre-RS, a product, you know, prototype. Okay. So um, he, he bought it, got on with it, and um, didn't, I don't think he really did much with it for quite a long time. And um, through various chats with Ollie, eventually the, the car turned up here, and his, his assumption was this was an RS prototype, and they made 11 of them um, before the actual run of the real cars. Uh, well, it's not the real cars, but the RSs. Yeah. Um, and so... We and well, Ollie and him came up with the idea that um, Jurgen Barth, who was responsible for the 964 Cup you know, championships, um, would be a great guy to come and validate, you know, mm. to, to authenticate the car. And he did. So he nice. came over. He's still got, I don't know how, but access to the historic Porsche T card system, you know, the old fashioned. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously had a good look around it and sort of shrugged his shoulders, like, yeah, it's the real one. Yeah. And obviously that changed that car's, uh, you know, point in history. And uh, when you Google 964RS, it's actually the blue one that's like up on a bit of a raised level on a bit of grass. It was used right. in a lot of... So we did... Ollie did loads of homework on it and the, the client decided to restore the car because it had gone through that life cycle of yeah. being a lot cheaper and then used for racing and this, that and the other and sort of getting lost in myths of time. So uh, a sensible resto was done, but that was such a challenging one because it wasn't like you could they right this is how the rs's are built and this is what bits they have in them mm-hmm. there was bits in there that never made it to the real car and there was bits in there that never been in previous cars so that was really cool and then when it was finished it went on display at various um, places for porsche and that that's like a proper you know for us loving 964s for restoring lots of 964s to 
restore a prototype of the RS, you know, the mm. daddy. That was yeah. that, that was really cool, I think, wasn't yeah. it? The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. We, we do get some weird and wonderful cars through here and weird and wonderful clients as well. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's great. Uh, all of them have got, you know, the, you, you could literally talk for, for hours on, on the stuff. I mean, for, for me, it's all, it's, it's, the, it's the cars, it's the driving of the cars. It's always been about the driving of the cars. So the kind of the stuff that sticks in my memory is maybe slightly different to some um, of the, the other cars that we have through here. But uh, I, I was just thinking about um, that 996 um, Gembala. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was, uh, it was a car that had gone to Gembala. It's a GT3 that had gone to Gembala and right. they had put turbo... It was twin turbos. And it, it was hidden, yeah, yeah. twin turbos. Oh, right. um, and it was, yeah, it was, I mean, you look at it and it's the, 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 the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing because it, apart from the fact that it ran quite low. Um, D-wind. Yeah, it just looked pretty like a normal, normal C2. 996 C2. Okay. But this thing used to bend your face when you accelerated. <laughs> it was so fast. It, you know when you get a car that, when you, you know, in your third gear and you, you're already doing kind of 60, 70 miles an hour and then you pin it and the, and it squats and it almost tramps as it's trying to get the power down and it <laughs> fires you up the road at an amazing rate of knots. And again, you know, we, there's cars that we've had through here and cars that we've built that are handled and driven loads better. Mm. Um, but for something that's just kind of completely out there and she crazy, was it was a wild, oh. wild machine. Yeah. The thing is, with those sorts of cars, it's like in this day and age, if you can go and buy an, uh, I don't know, an RS6 or whatever, and you map it and put an exhaust on, and she's 800 horsepower. And so you say to someone, a, a 996 GT3, you know, an 18-year-old GT3 with 650 horsepower, I think it had, and they kind of go, but I don't know if you've ever been out in cars of that area with that mm. sort of grunt, they're different horsepower. Mm, and it, yeah. it was, you know, it was kind of like, I think I remember the first time driving it thinking the clutch was slipping at the speed, which I remember, and it was the wheels spinning. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah, a, yeah. and you just, different car, but yeah, that, there's, there's, so yeah. yeah. Over beers, we reminisce of the ones that got away that shouldn't yeah, have. Oh man, um, so well, Probably good that one got yeah. away. Yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't be having this conversation properly. <laughs> It's, um, yeah, I, I guess that, that's a, a good kind of tangent onto one of the talking points I wanted to bring up because throughout this chat I've heard a, a lot of references of when they were 20 to 40 grand or when they were cheaper. Mm. And of course, in the past 20 years, we've all witnessed Porsche products go from being quite attainable to suddenly us kind of flicking through classified sections of magazines or looking on Car and Classic or Auto Trader and going, what, sorry, what? How much? When? Like, well, yeah. How how has this happened? So, from your side, how has that affected the business in the sense of you know I can recall again the ones that got away, and I remember selling an M three, an E forty six BMW M three back in whatever it would have been two thousand and fifteen sixteen, and going oh, I could I could buy a nine nine six nine eleven. Yeah, nothing special, maybe a Carrera two, but I could quite comfortably get into one of those. I'm fairly sure I can remember seeing 996s for sale for like three or four thousand pounds, a bit ropey, but you know, we're talking now early 2000s. Suddenly, everything is 20 grand plus, everything, as far mm. as I can work out. 
what has happened and why do you think it's gone as crazy as it has? I mean, obviously that's, that's the very low extreme when we're talking about things like you know, GT2993s that are now a million pounds for some reason. Mm. What, what do you think's happened there and how has it changed the business? Uh, well, why it's happened is Porsche have a fabulous marketing department. <laughs> um, the the thing is, whenever Porsche bring out a new generation of, you know, GT or C2 or well, you know, a model, it's it, they're very clever in that they never shun the previous model because every 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 car's got it got its place. Um, but if you were to ignore, because. Uh, our advice whenever people come to us to ask about either investment or mm. is buy the one you love. Yeah. And obviously we've all got different affordability levels in that. But that doesn't, you know, doesn't matter whether it's a, a five grand, a ten grand, a five hundred grand car, because to that man he's gonna have a woman are gonna have exactly the same amount of fun in it. Mm. But I think the reason why lots of these cars are uh, you know appreciating in value is it's it's just like historically it's always happened people growing up wanting a particular model of car I always I remember going to a show and sitting in the then new Gen 2 996 GT3 it was a cobalt blue club sport and um, <laughs> sitting in it when I had a Nova SR up the Novas and um, <laughs> thinking good lord this thing feels amazing and it's not yeah. even moving and then you get to a point in your life where you probably shouldn't but you just about can afford it and you buy it and they don't make millions of them, no. you know, relative to other manufacturers, clearly, you know, like Ferrari and Lamborghini, they, they're, they're far more prevalent. But because of that, you know, the simple economics of supply and demand, but, but also we, we've been saying it for ages that, you know, certain models, they just were too cheap, you know. Yeah. Dan, Darren is well documented as the world's largest uh, 996 evangelist, but um, <laughs> with good reason, you know, a rear-wheel drive, naturally aspirated manual coupe that has 300 horsepower for, you know, I remember paying seven grand for one once in the trade, and just like, this isn't right, that's yeah, yeah. way too cheap. Yeah. It's all the car you could ever want, isn't it, really? Well, to be, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. but again, you know, when you get higher up the level, there's no surprise why some of the models, you mm. know, continue to appreciate in value because with, who knows what's coming down the line and, you know, we're not, whilst we joke about electrified vehicles, you know, it's coming and I'm sure Porsche will make a fabulous sports car and yeah. everyone will go, actually, they're pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, with that coming down the line, there's certainly, you know, a cross-section of, of buyers that, you know, want high-revving, naturally aspirated or, or even turbo now, if, if electric's going to be a thing. They want, they want these cars because they just give a, a different experience and I'm sure everyone's probably seen that meme or whatever they're called on, online recently of people saying about how fast an electric car is. Yes. And it's like saying, yeah, I can I can uh, microwave my uh, steak in four minutes as opposed to put it on the barbecue. It, yeah, it's that kind of yeah. tongue in cheek. It's like, yeah, the you know the electric cars are fast, and yeah, the, the the petrol cars are fast. But it's that that difference and that that specialty that people are like craving for. Because if they are driving, and rightly so, you know, for the environment, if they're driving a Taken as their daily driver and doing 20,000 miles a year in that, they want something so wild and different mm. as their weekend toy that they can indulge themselves in in terms of, you know, upgrading it, tracking it, European road trips. Because I think with the whole COVID thing, it's also been a bit of an accelerator that, you know, there's, there's that, yeah, people realise they're not here forever, but they also are a bit more resilient to dips and, you know, 
troughs, uh, pigs and troughs in the market and you think well you know what I can afford this car and I've always wanted it yeah. and I, do you know what I don't care about who's buying it next I'm going to make it my mm. own sort of car so you put all of those into the melting pot and it's 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 no surprise why you know a lot of them go up but as I say our advice is buy the one you want and obviously the one you can afford because if they do go down you ain't going to be you know yeah, sad about that you yeah. go well who gives I can go and drive this and put as many miles on it as possible yeah. so yeah you know, I, think, I, I think the other thing to consider is from a, a driving point of view you can't make a current generation of car drive like a modern classic or a classic 996 you know, <laughs> 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 it, you know, it just isn't possible to do um, some people might say that's peak you know analog versus digital but you know for everybody that peak is probably somewhere you know different in the in the in the uh, model lineup but mm. you know they you can't you can't build like cars that can use 300 horsepower and also drive on the road and get the most out of them, you know, which is where I think even if there's any flaw to the current lineup of cars, they're all too quick. They're all too fast. Yeah, I hear you. Um, you know, there are, you have to go on road trips. You have to go to the track days to really properly exploit what those cars can do. Whereas the class, you know, if you go properly old school classic, you know, well, that's not old, old school, but I, I like the 911 SCs as an example. Yeah, yeah. That's a cracking little engine in there, really light car. And torsion bar 911s drive like nothing else, mm. and you can make you can have a whale of a time in one of those at relatively low um, speeds, which yeah. makes them accessible on the road more of the time. And I think that's something that all of those cars enjoy. So, if you can't get that driving experience without buying one of those cars, again, it's just funneling more people into that market to go. Well, actually, I need to own one of those because that's what I need, mm. and that certainly might be the perfect counter car to go with their, you know, really fast modern car that they use for certain applications, but, you know, doesn't, can't give them that experience. Yeah. I think equally there's there's the same sort of funnel of people going into like the 991s and even 992s for bizarrely the same reason in that we get a lot of first time Porsche buyers in at that, that level, which is like, oh, blimey, but... Mm. They're, what you tend to find is these people don't have plenty of time on their hands. And so whilst they kind of, they hear and listen to the sort of the classic, you know, ownership proposition, mm. and they that's cool. Yeah, I've got one parking space. Mm. This thing needs to start every time I need to go out and my mates have got other exotica. I want to be quick as them on track. And I, I, I do think in, in time, people will look back on that 991, 991.2 yeah, era, yeah, maybe great. even into the 992s, we'll see how they develop, yeah. as a high point of, of like vehicles. Because, you know, what they can do at the price that they can do it, and, how, and what we've seen, how robust they are, it, it's phenomenal, mm. you know. And yeah. they, again, people go, oh, they're really big, and they made loads of them. Again, relatively, they don't make loads of mm. them. And actually, you know... A 992 is only one centimetre bigger than a 991 and five kilos heavier on a GT3. So you kind of, I don't know why or who starts these sorts of rumours, but you kind of, like, well, it's that's not actually true. Yeah, Maybe you, right. and you're sat next to it and you've got a little diddy 64 911 and a 992. Well, yeah, it's yes. going to be bigger. Yeah. It's got to meet different regs and stuff like that. But there's certainly as many people going into that 
sort of pot of, of buyers um, for for weirdly similar reasons, mm. but they've come from a different place. And we get that sometimes mm. with people who sort of question us about Manti. They're like, why would you buy a GT2 RS and then Manti? You know, that's investing like 400-ish thousand mm. pounds in a car. I mean, like, well, a lot of the time, the, the people that are going into those are coming down from cars worth two million that aren't a great track car. Yeah. And then you go, oh, yeah. actually, that's a very good point. Mm. Yeah, you can't really, you know settle that around the ring in, in, in your LaFerrari and you know have a good resale value with chips all over it you know it's, right. it's, so it's all there's a different sort of pot of people for every every car but they just need to make more of them <laughs> <laughs> accessible to everyone yeah indeed yeah make more and yeah it, it, it's that com- it's such a common um, criticism isn't it for Porsche to say you know that if, if more people had access to them then perhaps these absolutely crazy immediate resale values i'm sure we've all heard the stories and i've got a personal friend who went to go and pick up his brand new gt3 from his local porsche dealer and this is only in the past six months or so in the morning that he was going to pick it up the porsche dealer phoned him up and said oh um just in case you don't want to come and pick up the car uh, we'll give you all your money back and another 60 grand just mm. in case you're interested and you know when the, when that's the sales manager at your local Porsche dealership that's saying that to you, you know there's a problem with the system. You've mm. got so many people out there that want to buy these cars to use them for what they've been designed for, mm. and can't get to them. They don't have access to them. And then you've got people out there that are on the allocation list because they brought every other GT3, and they're just going to flip it and sell it, or they're just going to drive it to the pub once a week for six months and then flip it and sell it for another hundred grand. And you think, yeah. this isn't fair. You know, it's yeah. fair. And it's, it's when they, these sorts of cars get to their sort of second year is mm. when you start to see them being generally used a little bit That's more true. because yeah. the, the second person's bought it out overs and therefore it's like, I really, really want that car to, yeah. Yeah. to go and enjoy. But I think there's also, you know, a lot of people sometimes, you know, they, they kind of, they bemoan the people that flip the, the cars. Um, but, you know, like we, we've had it in the past, there's all sorts of reasons why sometimes people will sell the car on. And, you know, what they... And they go, oh, that person's flipped that car, how dare they? And, you know, there might be some um, personal reason why the car's gone. But that guy or girl's bought Porsches for the last 20 years. No one's ever moaned when they've lost 50 grand on every single car they've ever yeah. owned. So it is a relatively new phenomenon for it. But... Honestly, I, I don't pity the, the main dealers because it must be a bun for, Yeah, it, uh, it's not going to be a fun thing to choose who gets what and everyone's got a case of why they should get it. And, you know, we've got no affiliation to any main dealer, but, you know, I've, I've worked in it. And when the guy, you know, someone walks through the door 10 times a day asking for a GT3 and then... You know, the tenth guy then goes and tells all his mates how rude the guy was. You know, the, you gotta understand it from their point of view. Yeah, it's yeah. it's tough, but um, yeah, yeah, it's got such a good product. It's yeah. fundamentally why you know people go, how can it be worth hundred thousand pounds more? And it's like, well, the market dictates that. Yeah, exactly. No one's just going. That's what it's worth. Any item is only ever worth what someone's willing to pay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Porsche selling too cheap. Porsche's yeah. fault. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're listening, Porsche, up the prices by 50% and everyone's happy. Don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> before we wrap things up, uh, I feel like I've kind of got a bit of an indication from both of you as to what the kind of the pinnacle Porsche might be, but it'd be good to hear what you, if there is something, or if that's too difficult a question to ask, it's a bit like your auntie asking at Christmas, but what's your favourite car? <laughs> it's not that easy. <laughs> is, there a, is there one that does like jump out and perhaps if, it's, if it makes life easier, you could say um, your favourite Porsche product, 
as a daily driver, favourite Porsche product as a track day car? You first. I was, was going to say you first <laughs> because I've known it takes me about five years to, get, um, to actually process that question. All right, I'll let, I'll let you think. Uh, for me, uh, it changes most days, yeah. and I spend most of my spare brain space thinking about this. Um, but uh, for me, it's cars that um, Porsches that you know grab you by the um, yeah, and you know make you want to drive them and, and frighten you. Uh, not frighten you, but you know, is that that yeah. excitement? Um, and I've always been a fan of turbocharged ones okay. um, contrary to Darren's love of naturally aspirated but you ask me this question tomorrow and I'll give you probably uh, another answer but um, yeah, obviously a Carrera GT's got to be up there in, you know, in terms of the driving experience but um, a car that I still get out of or get in every time and just take a sec is a, is a GT2 996 GT2 they're, they're just wild beings you know uh, no, no. I don't think I've ever driven one that's standard. Um, well, I have, but yeah, a lot of them have been tweaked. But for something to hop in, drive, and get out of it's, it, it reminds me of my biking days. Mm. You know, it's just wild, and you've got to concentrate. Um, so, again, ask me tomorrow, and I'll probably tell you something different. But right now, as I sit here, that, and I think probably as a as a daily driver, I think the. The current crop of cars are brilliant, mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. You know, I've got three daughters. They're safe. I, you know, you could they're safe as anything ever built. They're they're efficient. Um, they got awesome stereos. You know, for, for daily drivers. But you know, when that moment comes when you're on your own and you can rip it, it would it would smoke a GT old nine nine six GT two in reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they, for me, that duality of 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 having that um, and that lovely feel good factor of you know you get in in the morning click and how everything turns on and you know you fire it up it's they're just they're just special places to be um so i, I would probably go with one of the current crop of like a c2s or, or even a gts you know they're, they're unbelievably good cars but um i'm intrigued to see where you're going okay um well i think i'll start with the the daily driver um and i'm gonna i can actually say um I own what I would choose as a Perfect. daily driver. Um, so uh, I've got a 981 Boxer Spider. Brilliant. And um, I love every every part of that car. Um, and I've, I'm fortunate enough to have bits own ownership in a number of different cars, not whole cars, unfortunately. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's a podcast <laughs> in itself. Um, so uh, there's quite a few cars I do get uh, the opportunity to drive regularly, but... The, the, for me, the, the 981 Spider is the, is, the clo- is the most modern car that gives me that same level of steering feel and alertness and mm-hmm. general communication that I used to get out of my 996 CSR and the 99, you know, that, that kind of pinnacle yeah. um, driving experience for me. So I think it's just a fantastic car, sounds great, super lightweight, super alert handles brilliantly everywhere you know it's traction control systems off just enjoy the car as it as it is and it's such a great platform and uh, every part of it I mean I'm not even I don't even like cabriolets I, no. I've, I've, I've never had a cabriolet in my life um, but it is I have to confess that being able to take the roof down mm-hmm. and you know driving we did a, a road trip out um, to Anglesey and we stayed in Betsy Coed and it was driving through the Welsh roads with the 
the lid down um, yeah. late at night. It's a um, special thing because you've got the intake sort of just beside you almost, yeah. aren't they? Just over the door, just beside you. You've got the noise from the exhaust at the back. It's I, I'm, I guess, similar front. Not I wouldn't put, wouldn't class myself as a convertible fan. I'm always of the ethos that if the car wasn't designed to be a convertible, then it shouldn't be. But mm -hmm. the, the Spider kind of gets away with it because it yeah. was, and then effectively it's a GT4 in disguise, isn't it? It's yeah. got GT4 engine, yeah. GT4 underpinnings. It's a really, really special car. And you know, the the 981 isn't a carbon copy GT4 with a canvas roof um, and humps. It's slightly different. It shares GTS parts, some GTS parts rather than GT4 parts. But I actually think that enhances it. It just mm. makes it that little bit softer and easier to really kind of exploit the most on a everyday drive. But I genuinely, the heel and toe downshifts on that are magical. Yeah. And you can make the most boring journey, which from my place of work to my place of living is a relatively boring journey and it's quite short. Mm. You can still make it interesting in a spider. So yeah. that I would stick by my my current choice of car has been Peak. Uh, and for the car that go with it, if I could have anything, and if you're listening, Porsche, um, <laughs> I would, and it, no one's ever driven it, but based on how good the GT3 RS lineup is, and watching the videos of the tech that's gone into the new 992 GT3 mm -hmm. RS, Without even driving it, I think that would be the car that I would have yeah. to go alongside my Spider. Yeah, fair play. I'd like to change mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to have the Gen 2 of that. <laughs> what about you, John? Oh, it's a good one. I, I've been lucky, fortunate in the past to have, I had a 996 Turbo X50, which I thought was going to be the car that, the, the everything that I ever wanted. And for me which I think is a bit of a common theme with um, turbo owners is that it's all you could always drive the car blisteringly fast and it felt that lovely analogy you gave earlier about that ability to drive in third gear at 60 then floor it and suddenly it feels like you've taken off again mm -hmm. it always felt amazing but I always got out of it and thought <sighs> it's it, I never had that fizz that you get from a GT3 so I've, whilst I've never owned a GT3, I've driven plenty, and I think for me, a 997 Gen 2 GT3, not necessarily an RS, just an everyday GT3 as a, as a daily driver for me would be just exquisite. I just think they're just, it's such a wonderful out of the box product. Mm. You can take it straight out of the showroom, you can drive it through central London traffic without it being too horrible. You can then drive it on a cross continental road trip and just have a joyous drive, get to a twisty mountain pass and then have the best time ever. Mm. Yeah, Great choice. Good shout. For me yeah. it's that. I, um, as for kind of, yeah, I guess the kind of back crap crazy, crazy car, uh, that, yeah, that, that V10 howl of the uh, Carrera GT. I mean, we're talking, we're, we're, we're well into dreamer territory here, but I think we're allowed. <laughs> we can do it. We all like a bit of imagine buying, don't we? Um, but yeah, just because of that mystical sound, and I don't think there'll be anything remotely similar with a Porsche Ranch that will make that sort of howl and mm. be as kind of special for mm. many years. It's the it's the F40 of of yeah. the 911 era, isn't it? Or maybe some would say 959, but I'm going to say no, it isn't. Uh, yeah, I, that that I guess is is mine. That's yeah, 
one day I'll come and buy a GT3 from you guys. How's that? Done. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Got that on record. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, I've, I've taken you both away from your working days for an hour and 24 minutes, which oh, you imagine. Wow. So yeah, these things do tend to fly by. So I'll let you get back to work. Before we do, uh, for our dear listener, if they want to learn more, if they're Porsche owners, if they're perhaps somebody that wants to look at buying a Porsche, if there's somebody that's got a Porsche that wants to get it restored, what's the easiest way to find you guys and get in touch? Probably via the website, um, so rpmtechnic.co.uk. Um, we can also find us on social media, which we're improving at. <laughs> uh, so that's at rpmtechnic on uh, Instagram, and that'll take you to all of our other ones. Um, but we're all on track, you know, yeah. uh, any track day, if you ever see us wandering around, come and have a chat. Um, hopefully it won't take an hour and 24 minutes to give you an answer. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're, yeah we're, we're at many shows, so yeah, feel free to come over. Brilliant. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you, Darren and Greg. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Good to uh, good to get geeky about Porsches, which is something I don't often get the chance to do. So, very happy to have done that. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up at some other event in the near future and see how things progress. As for as for you, dear listener, thank you very much for joining us. As always, I invite you to go to our website where you can see the back catalogue of everything that we've done in the form of podcasts, written articles, and the videos that we put together. That's drivenchat.com. And uh, in the meantime, you can expect another episode roughly about seven days' time where I predict it will be the sounds of the Goodwood Revival, which I'm just about to go to and I'm slightly dreading the chaos of it, but you'll be able to hear the results of that in about seven days. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and look forward to speaking to you again next week. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.